welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you guys would pray the Lord's Prayer with me, we'll have it up on the screen here. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that's the prayer of our heart this morning, Lord. We, we pray to you as Father, even as we look at this topic of parenting, we're so thankful that we turn to you as our, our Father in heaven, that our dad is God. We're so thankful for that. We're so thankful, Father, that that you are in heaven, that you reign, that your purposes always stand. We pray, Lord, that your name would be hallowed. We mean that your name would be glorified in all that we do, in our families, in our lives, in all things. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're so thankful that as we pray that, we know that that will come to pass, that your kingdom is already breaking into this place and will fully come and make all things new. And we look forward to that, that picture you've given us at the end of the book of Revelation and through the prophets of what your kingdom looks like when, when it fills the earth. And we pray, Lord, come and do your will in this place. And we pray, Lord, that you would start with us, that you would bring your kingdom even into our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you would give us our daily bread. We pray for those who are in our body that are struggling to make ends meet. Lord, we pray that you would help us, the church, to meet those many needs, and we also pray, Lord, that you would give them good work, satisfying work, work where they could love and serve their neighbors as themselves and be compensated in a fair way so that they could not only care for their own needs, but to give to others. And we pray, Lord, for our daily bread as we open your word. Lord, we're your kids gathered around your table, and you're always so faithful to spread a feast for us in your word, and so we pray, Lord, that you would do it again. We pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, we pray that that, that line about forgiving our debtors would, would really resonate with us right now, and we would stop and think, who do we need to forgive? We pray, Lord, that we would re-gift the great grace that you've given us, that you have been so gracious to us to remove all of our sins in Jesus Christ, and that we would be willing to give that same thing to others. We pray, Lord, as we talk about family, that that parents and children would be restored in their relationships this morning. We pray, Lord, that adult children would be restored to their, their parents, that there would just be a work that you would do. Even as it says in Malachi, that when the Savior comes, that he would, he would reconcile the fathers to their sons and the sons to their fathers. We pray, Lord, for that work, that very difficult work, something we can't do but only you can do. We pray, Lord, that you would not lead us in temptation but deliver us from evil. Lord, the temptations are everywhere, the snares are everywhere. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to live sober-minded, that you would cause us to live alert to the, to the traps of the enemy, the temptations of sin, the, 
the way our own flesh tends to want to go along with it. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to walk in lives that, that mirror your goodness and mirror your gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not to us, but to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're finishing up a series called Generous Design. It's a, it's a relationship series, and next week we're going to start a deep dive into the book of Philippians, which will be really fun. I think we're going to spend a lot of time in that short book, and it'll be a more you know, exegetical, fine detail type thing. This has been topical, and that's needed to do sometimes too, because as you can imagine, the ground we've covered, there's not really a a verse-by-verse way to do that. Sometimes you have to gather everything the Bible says about topics or a lot of it and put it together. But this is going to be more of a series in-depth through Philippians. So you guys could be looking forward to that. I think where I'll start next week is actually in Acts, where Paul first goes to that area and the church being established. There's a great story there about the people that formed that church from the beginning. But this morning we're talking about parenting. And we do have a free book for you guys. It's Paul Tripp's book called Parenting. It's 14 gospel principles for parents. It's a great book on parenting. We'd love for you, you guys are going to read it and, and dig into it and really grow in your parenting, then please take one of those copies. This morning we're going to be, as was read in Ephesians 6.4, this is an important topic for all of us to be equipped in, to be equipped in parenting. Some of you guys are like, I don't have kids, my kids have moved out, this doesn't apply to me. That's not the case because God has placed you in this church family that's like a third kid's. So a third of your church family members are children. And so it's really important that you would be a part of this process with us of of parenting discipleship of kids. And we also need to keep in mind that every one of us has a role to play in handing the gospel down to the next generation. So Psalm 145 verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then it says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. That's something we all do for the kids here, is we declare his mighty acts to the next generation. And I know there's a tendency among Christians, and you guys are no exception, to think that the world's going to end at any minute. Okay? And when you're thinking the world's going to end at any minute, you don't really think about the next generation or the generation after that. But guys, the Bible calls us to think about generations we will never live to see. And that we would hand down the gospel deposit in such a way that generations and generations from now, your family line is still going strong following Christ. Like that's something that the Bible commends for us to do. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I don't know how much longer this story is going on, But I think it would be really important for us if we're going to keep the command to hand the gospel deposit down to the next generation to not assume it's ending tomorrow. You know, we always want to be ready, right? There's this tension. It could come at any time. We always want to be ready. But on the other hand, we want to think about if this continues on for another several hundred years, were we faithful in handing the gospel down? The reason why you heard the gospel, why you have a Bible and all these things, is there were faithful believers that came before you hundreds and even thousands of years ago that handed down the deposit. And so that's another reason why this is important. Every one of us is a part of the church's mission to hand the gospel down to the next generation. Pass around the sign-up sheet for children's ministry. Our culture, guys, is actually split on kids. Our culture kind of waffles between two extremes. The first extreme is that children are an unnecessary inconvenience. It's a very common thing in our culture. In the Wall Street Journal just this week, there was an article that said it now costs 
$300,000 to raise a kid from to, to 18. And I know some of you guys are doing it in bulk, and that's cheaper. But, you know, and only children are probably more expensive than that. But they're expensive, right? The scriptures say, though, that it's totally worth it. Psalm 127 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be ashamed when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You know, if you're interested in the advance of the gospel, you should be very interested in believers having children and really having as many as they possibly can. Wouldn't you want more arrows, you know? The other thing that our culture tends to do with kids, though, if they don't think of them as inconvenience, they, think, kind of, they kind of think of them as being, like, about their own image. The kid's about my image, right? Some of them look to their kids for their sense of meaning. I know not you guys. Look to their kids for their sense of meaning and significance. Maybe you look to your kids' sports abilities. You can tell which parents are doing that. They look to their schooling, look to their career, maybe even their looks or their obedience to, to say something about you and the kind of person you are. You know, it's as if children are in our image, as if they are for us to make a statement about our glory and worth, right? We can feel that way about our kids. But guys, our children are made in God's image. They exist to reflect his glory and worth, not ours. And I want to say just a couple of things right before we dig into this text to kind of take some of the unnecessary pressure off. Because when you think of parenting, it can be really convicting. Anybody convicted by parenting messages? Okay, so am I. It's even harder when you're doing it. Trust me on this. But let me take some unnecessary pressure off. The first one is I want to tell you guys that how your children turn out is ultimately up to God. Okay? It's ultimately up to God. They are their own human beings, right? They have their own relationship before God. They are not vending machines that where you put a certain amount of quarters in and you get the product you push the button for. That's not what they are. They're real human beings. You can do all the right parenting things and out does not come a wonderful adult Christian. You know, that happens. And you, you might push back and you might say, well, doesn't God promise that it will? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. Sounds like a promise. You guys got to remember that the Proverbs are not promises. They're Proverbs. <laughs> and Proverbs are, are wise statements about the way things usually go. You know, there's Proverbs like, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That's generally true. That's a wise statement about how life usually works. That is not a promise, as many of you have experienced. And so it's not a promise the way it it generally happens. So biblical parenting usually yields good fruit, but not always, okay? And I'd say that to take pressure off you guys because, you know, you run into struggles with parenting and the assumption is like, this is my fault, and you have plenty of things you can think of that you didn't do right, and so it's really easy to put that on yourself. What we do is we parent as best we can by the power of the Spirit, we pray for the results, and we leave it to God, which is like the hardest thing in the world to do with your kids, right? Is to leave it to God. The other thing I want to say is that parenting has never been done without sin, okay? So parenting didn't start until after Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. There was no Garden of Eden sinless parenting that we can look to, okay? And so no one has ever parented without significant failure, you will not be the exception. You won't be the exception. And so I hope you're loosened up. So I kind of loosened you up a little bit. Are you loosened up? Yeah. Ready for this? I don't want to do that too much of the mic. But um, this text gives us really brief counsel on how to practice the art of parenting. 
And, and we need this, don't we, guys? Because parenting really challenges us. It pushes us, like, right to the edge. And then we just start trying things, anything that we think will bring peace or solve the problem, right? We try just, we'll throw anything at it, you know? And you guys could probably share some things that you've thrown at it. And we'll be like, why did you do that? It's like, I don't know. I was desperate, you know? And we start doing things, even things our parents did that we said we would never do. But we're just like, well, maybe this is the time to deploy that one, you know? But this text is really great because it gives us something we should never do and then something we should do habitually. Let's look at the thing we should never do. This is the convicting part. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Notice that it addresses the dads. That's not because all parenting is done by dads, obviously. Even though the moms do at least as much of the parenting, this is addressed to dads. Why? Because God has called you men, you fathers, to lead your family spiritually, and that includes in your parenting— Dads, you've been called to set the tone and the direction of parenting in your home. That's what you're called to do. The tone's really important, by the way. You are called to set the tone and the direction of your parenting. We don't do all the parenting, obviously. Our our wives do a ton of it, more of it probably than we do. But you're called to be the pastor of your home, to shepherd and oversee the discipleship process of your kids. You're responsible before God in a unique way. And Paul starts here, with what we shouldn't do. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He doesn't give any specifics, which is really interesting. Do you guys have any? you guys have any thoughts on, like, what does it look like to provoke your children to anger? Anybody have anything? Unrealistic expectations would provoke them to anger. What else? Let's get one. What is it? Bullying them. Yeah, for sure. Double standards. So is that, like, standards for them, standards for you, or? Yeah. For sure. Hypocrisy. Inconsistency. Why do you gotta go there? Why do you gotta do that? <laughs> Anyone else? Mistreating your wife. Huge. Gigantic. Yes. Anything else? Yeah, I have a few that I'd like to go through. The first one is, those are all great answers, and I think they all are in here, and I think Paul's inviting us to just brainstorm about this, and the first one would be being too restrictive. You know, we're called to teach our children to live under authority, both ours and God's. We're, we're called to teach them to, that it's a good thing to live under good authority. You know, it's a good thing to live under good authority. Ultimately, you want to show them it's a good thing to live under God's authority. And when we hinder that goal, when we're too restrictive with our rules, when we have rules that, that don't reflect the generosity of God's rules, God's laws are generous. First John 3, 5 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so we obviously have to have family rules, but we don't want them to be so restrictive that we give off the idea that God is like, you know, like in the garden when he said, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden, just don't eat this one. That's the way God rolls. Isn't that great? He didn't say, you can only eat this tree, do not eat the rest of them, right? And so we want to give off that particular generosity of God when we're, in, when we're giving rules. We, we provoke our children to anger when we discipline out of anger. And I know this is very convicting, and we've all done it. We're learning. But when your child is disobedient, you should never discipline them out of anger, okay? James 1.20 says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It would be great to write that down somewhere. Because in the moment when you have disobedient children, you do believe that the wrath of man will accomplish the righteousness of God. And this verse says it won't, okay? It never does. If you're mad, take some time to cool off and pray. Have them wait in their room. There's no huge crisis here. Their disobedience will be there. 
15 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, an hour from now, however long it takes, they're still, still there waiting for you. It's not going anywhere. Take some time. When you are calmed down, you go in, you explain what they've done wrong, you explain what kind of punishment they're going to get for it and why. You give it to them. And then once they have received the punishment, you need to assure them that they're forgiven and it's over. It's really important because you are modeling the gospel, right? God does discipline us, but he doesn't hold grudges against us. He isn't unforgiving against us. And so once we have disciplined them for something and we've forgiven them for that and we've assured them of their forgiveness and their reception with us, we need to really work hard at making sure that they feel forgiven. No cold shoulder, you know, no continued iciness, no feeling of them being on the outside. They've, they've received their punishment and, and they're welcome back. We provoke our kids to anger when we shame or insult them. We have, uh, we've all seen this, guys, right? I mean, we've all seen this in stores and in restaurants. You know, there's a parent that's kind of pushed to their breaking point by a disobedient child, and they resort to, you know, uh, sh- publicly insulting and berating their kids. I always don't know what to do in those situations. I feel like stepping in because it's just like so wrong, you know, to do this. But I get it, guys. I get you feeling frustrated and helpless and embarrassed, big time embarrassed. I totally get that. But that will provoke your children to anger. And you know what this command reminds us of, this do not provoke your children to anger? It reminds us that our children are real-life human beings. I think sometimes we can forget that. Our children are real-life human beings. And our command for us to them is to love your neighbor as yourself. They are your neighbor. We're in a temporary position of authority over them, but they are our equals in dignity and worth. Our children are our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we need to treat them that way, okay? That doesn't mean you don't discipline them. It doesn't mean you don't spank them. It doesn't mean any of those things, but it means that the heart towards them is that they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have temporary authority over them. It's crazy because, okay, so you guys are parents. How many of you guys are parents? So, like, you were entrusted with real-life human beings, isn't that weird? I was just thinking about that. So, you know, if you had your baby in a hospital, you have the baby in the hospital, maybe your first one, and they're like, you're, you're going to leave this afternoon, and you're like, I'm not ready to take this baby with me, and they're like, no, you're going to. And then to make sure that you're capable of taking a real life human being home and raising them, what do they require of you? A car seat. <laughs> Any psychopath can get a car seat right? Anyone could get a car seat. All you had to do to prove that you were capable of caring for a real-life human being was to produce a car seat for them. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. You know, think about, like, there was a time with your spouse that you probably said, like, hey, what do you think about creating another immortal human soul? (laughs) And your spouse was like, yeah, why not? You know, it's nuts, right? I mean, when you really think about this is a real human being. I love N.D. Wilson, what he says in his book, Death by Living. He says, other real-life souls are now depending on you. You are the creator of their childhoods. You are the influencer of their dreams and tastes and fears. You are the MC of all reality, the one to introduce those small people to the true personality of their maker, as imagined more by your life than your words. No pressure. We provoke our kids to anger also when we rely only on authority instead of building a relationship. And I have a diagram for this. This is a diagram that I did not invent. I made this one. I know. But I didn't invent the idea. This is from somewhere. I don't know where. 
But here's the basic idea. So this is like the type of influence you have over your kid as they age. So I've got, when you start off, it's, it's all authority, 100% authority. Like with a baby, you don't really have much of a relationship. You think you do, but like you just, you can take them wherever you want. You do whatever you want with them. 100% authority. As they age, you want to have more and more influence through relationship instead of authority. And I've got passages for that. So that's the y-axis. The x-axis here is childhood, adulthood. In childhood, they're called to honor us as their parents, honor their father and mother. Ephesians uh, 6 one says they're to obey us as well. When they're adults, they're still called to honor us, but they're not called to obey us anymore. Actually, they're called to leave us, right? For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And so there's no call in adulthood for your children to obey you. They're to honor you, but that doesn't mean doing whatever you say. And so what we're seeing here is as they age, as your relationship develops, you want to be moving more and more away from using your authority as your means of influence and more and more to relationship. Does that make sense? And the problem occurs out here when you're at a place where your authority really is fading away or maybe even gone, and you're still trying to push the authority button, but you haven't actually created the kind of relationship where your kid is looking to you for any kind of influence. And so that's what we want to think about long run, you know. Many of you guys have little kids, you know, you've got that full authority right now, but looking towards the, the long game where you're going to need to have more and more of a, a relationship with them, right? We need to build that relationship of love and trust so that when, when they're older, they'll voluntarily seek our counsel and influence. And hopefully they'll be doing that even while they're in our own home, that they'll more and more see you as a person that is wise as a person that cares about them, as a person that knows them better than anyone else does. And by the way, kids, that's why you want to turn to your parents for advice. You want to turn to your parents because they're wiser than you, they care about you more than anyone else does, and they know you better than anyone else does. The perfect people to turn to for those three reasons, and that's what we want to be. I love Proverbs uh, 23, 26. It says this, Listen to this. This is so great about parenting. What a vision for parenting. Proverbs 23, 26 says this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Isn't that awesome? Give me your heart. That's what we're after with this, right? We're like, we've got authority of you. You have to do what we say. We have rules. We're going to discipline you when you're not doing them. But our whole goal in parenting is that you would give us your heart. (laughs) Give me your heart. You know, developing a relationship of love and trust so that in the years to come, when the authority is gone, they're still going to seek you for counsel and even companionship, right? And we're going to seek them out for counsel. You guys realize that? There's coming a day when we're going to rely on their wisdom to take care of us. And long before that, I mean, even with my boys and, and, and my daughter as well, even at their age, their counsel is valuable. They're wise people. You know, I want to seek them for counsel as well. And so have that long-term goal in mind. And I'll just say this as my own point of view. I'm not saying this from Scripture. But the way I look at it is I get to raise my own future adult friends. Okay? They're not my friends now. I'm their parent. But my goal would be I get to raise my own future adult friends. That's my goal. And what's so cool is, like, you've influenced their humor. So, like, they tell a joke, and you're like, oh, that's so funny. And then you realize, like, that's what I would say. That's why I like it, you know? (laughs) You get to influence their taste. Like, all of our kids like to hike in the desert. That's not genetic, you know? That's something imparted. And so, anyway, having that long game, as your authority is temporary, build the relationship. And one way that you can build that relationship is by 
properly balancing your correction and affirmation, okay? And I think this is really important in all your relationships, but in parenting, it's really important. So think of corrections that you make toward your kid as writing a check, and think of the affirmation you give them as making deposits in the account. And then make sure you're not overdrawn, okay? Give it to you like this. Your teenage kid comes home, you're like, don't drop your jacket there, you need to clean your room, did you get your homework done, why are you home so late? Okay, so you wrote four checks. Do you have any plan that day to make any deposits? <laughs> because after a while, that relationship is going to be more and more diminished. And I know you think affirmation sounds so, I don't know, I'm being woke or something. <laughs> but guys, biblical affirmation is something you see in Scripture, okay? It's something you see in Scripture. I mean, if you look at 1 Corinthians, this letter where Paul has to write lots of checks <laughs> correcting these people, it starts with affirmation. Read the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I mean, you know what's coming in 1 Corinthians, so it's kind of shocking. He's like, I thank God always for you. And like, man, the Spirit's giving you all these gifts and so much wisdom. And I mean, he's giving them legit affirmation. And what is he doing in that affirmation? He's pointing out the evidences of God's grace in their lives. That's the most encouraging kind of affirmation you can get, is the kind that says, I see God at work in you. Because as believers, we don't tend to see God at work in us. We see all of our sin. And so to have somebody say, like, I see God at work in you in these specific ways. And what's cool about that kind of affirmation is God gets the glory. They get encouraged. It's like a win-win. It's amazing. So I've got a book on that. I'm not going to bend down to get it. It's called Practicing Affirmation. I'm going to leave it up front. If you're like one of those people where you're like, I can't do that, you actually can do that. You can learn to do it. And the book's really good. It's, a, it's written by a guy that just unpacks how to give affirmation to the glory of God into the encouragement of others, and it'd just be such a blessing. There's some of us that always know how to make the correction, but don't know how to make the affirmation, and we can learn this, and it's a skill, and I'll leave that out for you. Okay, so we see what we shouldn't do. We should not provoke our kids to anger. Now, what should we do? Look at Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're called to help our kids grow up through the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline means kind of the overall training that we give them, and instruction is specifically the verbal part. But this is really a command, guys, for us to disciple our kids. Parenting is discipleship. Super helpful to know that, that parenting is discipleship. Marcelo's actually got a great book on that, but parenting is discipleship, right? And it's so helpful to know the goal of our parenting because, you know, otherwise you're like, well, is our goal to have as much fun as possible? I think fun's great. Is it to make them the best athletes they can be? Is it to make them as educated as they can be? Is it to make them as famous as they can be? Is it to make sure they make as much money as they can make? This passage tells us the number one goal of parenting is to disciple them. And, um, and one of the things this points to as well is, I mean, we disciple our kids. You're to disciple your kids from when they're very, very small, from the very beginning, right? We're, we're not supposed to wait treating your child like a little pagan, you know, until they have some dramatic conversion experience and then go, oh, I better disciple them now because now I know they're a Christian. That's not what scripture shows about parenting. It shows us discipling from the very earliest age. Many of the kids that are raised in Christian homes, they're not going to have a dramatic conversion experience, okay? And that's a good thing, okay? You actually don't want your kid to, you know, sell fentanyl for 10 years and then have a dramatic conversion experience and come back to the Lord. Like, that's not what we're looking for for our kids. 
There's going to be a lot of kids that grow up in a Christian family where they never remember a time they didn't believe. But they know they believe now because they really love Jesus and they're following him. And God must have saved them at some point because they know they weren't born that way and that God has done it. And so, so your kid's spiritual progress might look like that. You know, my wife's was like that. She grew up in the church. She doesn't remember the time she wasn't a Christian, you know. But she knows she is now. And, you know, and to put it pressure, just as a side thing, we kind of build a culture, especially sometimes a culture of um, kind of our, our youth work, that somehow this kid who's grown up in the church says he loves Jesus and everything, certainly must not, because he didn't have some dramatic conversion story. And we kind of push him to, like, go out in the world and make a good story. We don't want a good story, you know? What we'd really like is for them to just hear the gospel as they're growing up and, and to receive it. Never have a time when they went out prodigal, right? I mean, those stories are also glorious to God's grace, but that's not what we want for our kids. We'd rather uh, train them up in the Lord and just have them receive the gospel in the, in the context of uh, normal discipleship in the home. So parenting discipleship, it, it's, you have a discipleship program. I think this is really important. Every parent has a discipleship program, whether they know it or not. We are all teaching our kids in thousands of ways what to value. And so it's extremely important that we be intentional about it, right? And so parenting discipleship has set times. You know, think about dinner time's a great time to do it. You're already eating dinner. There's some relative peace, maybe. Um, you could have it then. You could read a, a passage. You could discuss it and pray. Bedtime's a good time to do it. Um, there's other times of discipleship you might decide to, like, have a pattern where you take a kid out to ice cream or you uh, take them out for a meal or something like that, and you talk about the things of God. Sunday morning is a huge part of parenting discipleship. Your weekly attendance to church teaches them to value this, because they, they mainly just see what to value by watching us, you know, and so your weekly attendance to church teaches them to value it. You're teaching them that this is an important part of your life, you know, and so there's set times. There's also, like, as you're going, Deuteronomy 6.4 is so beautiful on parenting discipleship. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I've commanded today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you're sitting down in your house or when you're walking and when you lie down and when you rise up. So that has a picture of discipleship being like all throughout the day, wherever you go. You're driving in the car, you know, you're waiting in line, you're sitting around at home, you're working on a house project, and you're talking about the things of God, and you're, you're looking for teachable moments, and, and your kids are looking for teachable moments, which is great. A lot of times, they'll ask you questions, you know. Anytime they're asking a question, it's like, drop everything, because they're listening. This is a great time. This is important, and so we get to have this pattern of discipleship as we go, and this is really important, guys, because what it does is it, it gets them in the habit of connecting scripture to normal things in the day, you don't want it to be a compartmentalized thing, like, okay, we do the Christian thing here, here, and here, but to have them think about it throughout the day, and I, I'm always so blessed when my kids will, like, come to me and ask me about things that they heard in a class, or, you know, they're hearing from friends and stuff like that, and we can, like, talk about it, because it shows they have a sense that every part of their life in some way connects to Christ, and so we should disciple them as we go. We should disciple them the way we would disciple other believers, okay? I think this is really important. There's a certain level that they need to learn on, but we need to make sure that we disciple them the way we disciple any other Christian, which means not moralism, okay? A lot of children's curriculum is moralistic, and kids' shows, the worst is Veggie Tales, right? And that guy, he repented, and he's making better things. He's got a show on, 
He's got a show on um, Right Now Media, and uh, so he's doing better. But Veggie Tales was basically Aesop's Fables, right? So it was like, you know, a Bible story with a moral attached. Like, no sin, no Jesus, really, unless he was just a good moral teacher. And so totally blew it. And there's videos of him going like, I don't know, I missed it all, you know, like that kind of thing. So he's repented, he's moved on, he's making better stuff. But we don't want to encourage our kids that they can do God's commands, they just need to try harder, right? We want to encourage them that Christ is their righteousness and the Spirit is needed for them to be able to do any of the things God's commanded. We want them to see in Scripture that it isn't a long story of heroes you could emulate so much as it's a, it's a big story about Jesus and how all these people point to Christ and how Jesus is the hero of every story, Old Testament and New Testament, and that they would be led to trust in Jesus for both their salvation and their sanctification. And we've got a good program for that in children's. It's uh, the Gospel Project, and it does just that. But um, there's a lot of great books that you guys could use with your kids, and I have some here. They're from the library. And um, I just want to show you a few of them. So I thought that would be fun. Okay, first book, you got little kids, and you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, you need to immediately repent. This is a really important book because what it does is it goes through the whole story of Scripture, seeing how it all points to Jesus. Also beautifully illustrated, also a great thing to give your unbelieving neighbor that just had kids because they will read it to them, and it's like a really sneaky way to get the gospel into their house because it's just beautiful, and it'll be the gospel over and over again, including from the Old Testament. So that would be a great book for you to get. This one's great, The Garden and the Curtain and the Cross. This is another one that goes all the way through Scripture and shows how it all points to Christ, that it's all one big story, The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. All these are in our library. I'm going to give them to Tosh, and she's going to put them out there. If you wanted to do something more on doctrine, this book, I Am, 40 Reasons to Trust God. This goes through the attributes of God and the names of God. It's really great. This is a cool one. It's called Does God Sleep? And this is really uh, getting across God's power, his omnipotence, in a really cool way, because that might be a question your kids would be interested in. Does he sleep? In that same vein, we got a cool book on the Holy Spirit that kind of talks about, like, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the person of the Spirit. And this is one of those, like, really thick books that kids can chew on. You know those kind? Oh, this is great. So this is so good. Okay. So this guy went to Westminster seminary and he wrote a hip-hop album and sang it on um, Bible doctrine. Really cool. And this one's the acrostic of God and so it goes through ABCD all the way through Z and talks about God's attributes and does it in like a hip-hop rhythm writing. It's really cool. You can tell I don't know anything about it the way I'm talking. <laughs> this is great. Ten questions your, your teen should ask and answer. This would be a great discipleship book. There's a lot of cultural issues in here that you could dig into with your kid. Lots of Harry Potter references, which I love, but you might not. And so that's a cool book. Oh, and then catechism. You know, we talk about catechism in our church quite a bit. And uh, if your kid's really little, this is a cool book, my first question book. And I'll, I'll send a link with all this stuff by Karen McKenzie. And it starts with very basic questions, like, who made you? The answer is God, you know. And even a very small kid can learn to, to answer questions like this. And they love to do it. I don't know their motives. Like, it's like a trained seal. They, I don't know if they're doing it out of pride. Who knows? They're tiny. But what you're doing is you're actually putting in them biblical truth from a very young age. And, and then this, New City Catechism. That's what we do this in the morning here. It's got a longer version. It's got a shorter version of the questions. 
your kids are real little, they do just do the highlighted part. Super helpful to catechize your kids because as Josh says every week, like our culture is always catechizing them, always teaching them what's important, always discipling them, and we want to give them biblical truth. So that's a brief tour. These are out at the, the library that Tasha sets up, and she's bought tons of books and also books that would help you to know how to parent and things like that. These are to check out, enjoy. If you'd rather not check them out, you'd rather buy books. You can always ask Tasha. She would give you a list of stuff that's good. So we want to disciple our kids the way we would disciple any other believer, okay? Except we can spank them, which is different. But other than that, we want to disciple them the way we disciple any other believer, which means we want to point them to find their righteousness in Jesus and their power in the Spirit. So, like, for example, like, you're, you're headed home, your kids are fighting in the back, young kids, and you say to your son, like, stop fighting with your sister. And, you, you know, your son says, well, you know, she's annoying me. And you say, well, you need to stop right now. And he says, you know, I can't, she's annoying. What do you say next? I think it's really important what you say next. Because you could say something like, you know, he says, I can't, she's really annoying. You could say, well, you can and you better or you'll regret it. Okay, well, the threat of punishment's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But, but do you really want to tell them that they have the power within themselves to change themselves? Because that's something, you're just not trying hard enough, you need to try harder. You would never do that at coffee with, like, your Christian friend. And say, hey, I'm really struggling with porn. Well, you need to stop, you can stop, and you better stop. Like, want to meet up next week? And they're like, no. <laughs> you know, like, it's totally not helpful. You know, so we need to be thinking, like, if we're discipling them, that's a different thing than just telling them to do things and punishing them if they don't. So, which, the punishment's fine, okay? So you might say something to that kid like, you know, you're right, buddy. I know that you can't love your sister the way you ought to. You're going to need Jesus to change your heart. Let me help you. I would highly suggest that you be quiet right now and pray and seek God to help you change your heart. Like, the spanking is real. But I, I would just ask you to pray and then when we get home, I'm going to pray with you some more, and we're going to talk about how you could better love your sister by the power of the Spirit. Like, what do you do when you're tempted to anger? What do you do when you're tempted to fight with your sister? They need to know what to do in their little hearts. They need to know what did their heart want, you know? Why were you annoyed? What was your sister taking from you? What was your sister doing that was upsetting you so much? And then, you know, how, how could you rely on the Spirit next time? That's the way you would disciple another Christian. And your kid is another Christian, okay? And so we want to help them in spirit-empowered ways to love each other. So parent discipleship is teaching them the big story of redemption and then helping them to live out Christ's commands by the power of the Spirit. And, and I know as we talk about this, you, you know, parenting is something that's really helpful to see someone else do well to learn how to do it, right? Really helpful. And some of you might feel like really disadvantaged because you think about like, well, I never had that modeled in my home growing up and you know, it's very hard for me to know how to do it. But I would just want to encourage you this morning that if you're a Christian, you've already been parented by a perfect parent. You've already been parented by God the Father. And that we can actually really learn from him and to imitate him. And in this same book of Ephesians, if you turn to chapter 1, it opens with talking about God our Father. If you look at verse 3, it says, Ephesians 1-3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this whole section from verses 3 on is a big exclamation of praise to God the Father. You know, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, for the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's who your father is. Ephesians shows you the kind of father you have. You have the kind of father that chose you, you. It's crazy. You should be surprised by this. That chose you before the foundation of the world, verse 4 says. Before he even spoke anything into existence, he thought of you and chose you to be his treasured child. And that's in spite of the fact that Ephesians 2 says what kind of child you you were. You know, a child of disobedience that lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And by nature, a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the kind of child he chose. This is crazy, right? And you have the kind of father that adopted you in spite of all that. Verse 5 says, You have the kind of father who in love predestined you for adoption to himself as a son of daughter through Jesus. It's an interesting choice. You and me. Right? He's like, you know, I'll take, the, uh, I'll take that one. You know, the child of disobedience who lives in the passions of her flesh. Or I'll take this one over here, that, that child of wrath. I think that'd be perfect for my family. Right? And yet God did. He set his affection on us. And he's willing to pay the massive adoption price. He's a holy God can't just adopt children like that without first dealing with their sin. And so he paid the massive adoption price of his own son. His own son. I wouldn't give my kids for you. His own son. And remember how proud he is of his son at his baptism? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, the son who is his perfect image. The son who always gave the father his whole heart. The son who always did everything of the father's will because he loved his father more than he loved anything in the world. The son who volunteered to be bloodied and battered on the cross for your sin. It's amazing. Your father loved you so much that he gave his own son. It's the only way a holy God could adopt unholy people like us. You have a father who now delights in you the way that he delights in his son Jesus. Like what he said about the baptism, he now says about you. His eye of affection is always on you in a way that it's not on just any old person. That's what Isaiah 43 said this morning. Like he has a special eye towards you. You know, when I'd pick up my kids from school, there'd be this mob of kids coming, right? And, and they would be kind of a blur, right? And then you see your one kid is crystal clear because that's your kid. That's the way he looks at you. He sees you in the crowd. That's my kid. That's my child. That's my daughter. That's my son. A father who now disciplines you and instructs you, right? Just like he's doing this morning through the word, like he's speaking to you and he leads you every day by his spirit. Every day he's calling out to you, my son, my daughter, Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And guys, the Father is like the best person to listen to because there's no one wiser and there's no one that cares more about you and there's no one that knows you better. Like, we should listen to him. You know, a Father who has all authority and yet through his loving relationship causes us to obey him, not to earn his love because we already have it, not to avoid punishment, but because we're so grateful to be his kids and we love him so much. And, and we see that in Hebrews, you know, when we do need discipline, that God always does it with loving correction. He doesn't do it haphazardly. He doesn't do it unwisely. He always does it wise and effective. Any discipline he sends into our lives is 100% needed and 100% helpful. 
And I just want to say, do you know the Father like that? It's vital in your parenting that you know the Father like that. Or that you're striving to know the Father like that. Right? Because your parenting will reflect what you believe about how God parents you. It will reflect that. If you see God as distant, you're likely to be very distant. If you see God as disinterested or harsh or restrictive, or even if you see God as super permissive because he just doesn't really care what you do, you'll reflect that in your parenting. If you see God as always disappointed in you, it's going to be very hard for you to extend grace to your own kids. We reflect back what we think of God the Father in his parenting us. And to those of you who are here and you're like, man, this is all like totally foreign to me, I would just ask, do you know God as your Father? You can this morning. Like you could receive him. John 1 says this, to all who received Jesus and believed in his name, the Father gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, if you would this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you would turn from looking for your happiness in like the trash heap of sin, at some point you go like, oh, this is a trash heap, <laughs> you know, and you turn from your sin to, to receive Jesus, and you come home, you'll find that the Father in his adopting love was seeking you all along, that he was the one ultimately who had called you all along. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the blessing of children. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's here that desires to have children but just hasn't been able to have them. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them with children. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be a healer in that situation. I pray, Lord, that you would, in the meantime, Lord, that you would minister to them, that you would give them grace and peace and joy in you. I pray, Lord, for all of us here who are parents, I pray, Lord, that we would just continue to be taught by you. The fact that we have you as our father is just an amazing advantage in parenting, and we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us, that your spirit would continue to direct us, that your word would continue to light our way. We pray, Lord, for any estrangements between fathers and sons and mothers and sons and daughters. Uh, if there's any estrangements that are in this room, I just pray, Lord, that you would heal those. Lord, I remember in the book of Malachi that it says when the Messiah would come that you would uh, reconcile the fathers to their sons. And I just pray, Lord, for that gospel work here, that if there's particular estrangements that, that need to be healed, we pray, Lord, that you would heal them, that you would cause the gospel to um, be big enough and powerful enough and that your spirit would work such that impossible difficulties between parents and kids would be reconciled. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our Father, that you had your sights on us before we were even made. And then we have this security that you have said that, that what you've started, you'll complete. That the good work you've begun in us, you'll be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we just rest in your fatherly care. We rest in the fact that this is all you. And then all we need to do is trust you. Help us to trust you more. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covegraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.